So Money Episode 458, Ask Farnoosh. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. This episode is brought to you by FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the ridiculously easy cloud accounting software made specifically for entrepreneurs and business owners who need to find a better way to deal with their paperwork. Sign up today at freshbooks.com slash so money. Welcome to So Money, everyone. How's your week going? It's Friday. Aren't you excited? This was my first week back from vacation and very excited to get back to work, sort of. You know, it's never super exciting to get back to work, but of course, I love my work and I love this podcast and looking forward to all the questions that we've got prepared for today from all of you who've been writing in diligently. Thanks in advance for that. Um, so, Sophia? You're back. Welcome back to the show. Thank you. Thank you. What was it like last week all by your lonesome? It was very quiet. Very, <laughs> very quiet. <The> <laughs> not in a good way. Not yeah. in a good way. Not in a good way? Oh. <laughs> well, no, I mean, not in a good way as in like, you know, like maybe people think that I'm, I mean, you talk too much or something. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it was very quiet. But um. Yeah, it was quiet, but I'm happy that you had a great vacation. It was nice. We uh, all went out to Long Island and got a chance to go to the beach. It was super hot, though, towards the end of the week. We didn't really dare to go out. But I think it was a pretty successful trip, much more successful than last summer when we went, when I felt like I was just running around taking care of my one-year-old in a home that was not baby-proofed and... (laughs) Not really giving ourselves a chance to relax. Um, but this year my parents came and my brother. So it was nice to have all those extra hands. And, um, one of my proudest accomplishments last week on vacation is that we hardly ate out. We ate out like once, which uh, we wanted to do because, you know, you're on vacation, you want to enjoy the restaurants, but, you know, Long Island, the Hamptons, not cheap. So I knew that going in. I went on Amazon, bought a huge portable freezer, filled it up with a ton of, you know, perishables and meats and cheeses and, you know, just whatever I knew we were going to need. We had a grill. So that saved us a pretty penny and really proud that we stuck to that commitment because I know it's really easy to just go out or order in, but we, uh, we made a pretty good week of it. So a few updates while I was gone. I thought it would be interesting to share, good to share. Uh, one is that I am a new blogger for Mint.com. I know Mint is a website that we all use or we're all familiar with. I've been using Mint since like 2000, gosh, like 2008, 2009. And they approached me to partner up with them, write some content for them every month. So stay tuned for that. Very excited. And I'll be going out to San Francisco soon this fall, hopefully to meet with the team and uh, just come up with some really great ideas for everybody. And then the Oprah column for September is already out. And this month we tackle deals in September, how to get discounts, deals, not just in September, but really all year. Lots of great negotiating advice in there from some of the experts as well as my own experience. And um, 
you'll find this interesting, Sophia. So you know how like I've talked about maybe not so much, but I have discussed at some point or other that one of my bucket list items is to be on Dancing with the Stars. Of course. Yes. It's kind of my only goal in life at this point. <laughs> um and and it's and not because I think I'm a star, and that's that's the issue, right? It's like I have yet to become like a C level, B level star. I'm like Y X Y level right now, like Z level, um, not A list at all. But uh, I feel like on Dancing with the Stars, you can't be A list, right? You have to sort of be like a child actor from the 80s or someone who like has retired from sports or some or was on the Disney channel had your own Disney show but it's like so I just want them to maybe recognize the financial bloggers out there and the financial <laughs> podcasters and the financial authors and people like little old me who have some dancing chops and so I want to get on dancing with the stars if anybody knows any way for me to do this, let me know. Um, but a, a fan on Twitter asked if I've yet to make contact with the folks from Dancing with the Stars. Um, and I just thought that was really sweet, keeping me accountable. And the answer is no, I have yet to <laughs> make contact with anyone from the ABC network in charge of Dancing with the Stars. But a girl can dream. I'm working on it. I don't really know what I have to do, honestly. Um, a friend of mine, Lewis Howes, who is a super successful podcaster, author, um, entrepreneur. We met up when I was in Los Angeles a couple of weeks ago. And turns out he also wants to be on Dancing with the Stars. But he has gone so far as to make a reel. And he actually, because he interviewed um, Juliana Huff for his podcast, he actually has footage of him dancing with her. Oh my goodness. So I'm like, what? I said, I was like, I punched him. I was like, this is not fair. Where does this leave me? He's like, don't worry. We're not competitive. I'm a dude. You're a female. Like, I'm, he's like, I'm competing with like ex athletes. You're competing with like, well, no one. Cause there's really no, <laughs> like, uh, who's competing with me? Like the ABC star from Disney Channel? I don't know, but I thought I have to get to that level if I even want to be considered. So I had next step is, I guess, to make a reel. Um, so, you know, just squeeze that into my, bu my budgeted time. <laughs> oh, all right, Sophia, let's get to the questions. All right. So we have a lot of credit questions credit? today. All right. Yeah. A lot of credit questions. And our first question comes from Dylan. Dylan has had this one credit card since 2008 and he opened it up with the goal of building credit. And the limit on the card is $5,000. And he says he always makes his payments on time. And his credit score is in great shape. It's a 773. But his question is, he's tempted to open up a second card with more rewards and perks. Do you have any advice or should he just stick to the one card? I think he, he's ready to, to graduate to another card. Uh, not to say that he has to get rid of this card, but I think the issue, the bigger issue that I hear is that he has a card that just has a $5,000 limit. And I think um, as his life matures and as he might encounter bigger expenses, uh, he may benefit from having a car with a bigger credit limit. The first thing he may want to do though, if that's really um, a priority for him, is to uh, call the creditor that he has with, currently 
that he's with currently and say, hey, could I increase my credit limit? And usually they can do that over the phone. It's no hassle. They might check your credit. But in this case, he has great credit, so nothing to worry about there. And he may be able to increase that limit by two or three times. And that way, uh, you know, as we know, a credit score has many variables that impact it. But one of the biggest variables is your debt to credit ratio. And not like he's carrying debt, but if he were to ever carry debt, it's important that his credit limit uh, is sizable. Um, so that he doesn't have a high debt to credit ratio. And so I would start there. But yeah, absolutely. If he's looking for a card too that has good rewards, perks, cash back, he's obviously proven that he's good with credit and he has got a, st- a strong, very strong credit score, 773 out of presumably 850. So I would say um, start sh- browsing. There are websites like nerdwallet.com, bankrate.com, where you can start to look for cards based on your preferences and based on the perks that you want. So if you want specifically a cashback card, you can start looking and organizing your search that way on these sites. If you want a card that's like a gas rewards card, travel rewards card, so on and so forth, these sites are really great at um, categorizing your search that way. And just be careful. Don't go like applying for 10 different cards. You know, try to find the one or two that you really want or think you can qualify for and stick with that. You don't want to have too many inquiries on your credit profile because as we know, too many hard inquiries can uh, lower your credit score a little bit. Definitely don't close that first card. You've had it since 2008. It's got a nice long credit history. That's good. You want to keep that in your portfolio. Yeah. Did you open up a credit card in college, Sophia? I did. I got my first credit card in college. And when I was in high school, my mom helped me build credit by putting me on her card um, and obviously making off payments that way. And then in college, I applied for my own card. And then um, after I graduated college, I applied for my second credit card. And now I have two that I'm very happy with. One is like my everyday card. Um, and then I have um, a really great card in terms of when I travel. Mm. So um, it has all of the travel rewards and perks. And I'm very happy with both of them. Yeah, yeah. Same here. I mean, people ask me sometimes, like, is too many cards? Is there is there a, a number that you shouldn't hit? Like, is, is having five or 10 cards too many? Is, are there, is there such a thing as too few? And my philosophy is that it's not really the number of cards that you have that makes the difference. It's how you manage the cards that you have. I mean, I have a friend who has a, car, a credit score of over 800 and he's got like over a dozen credit cards. I mean, he's in his oh 50s now. He's had them since, you know, he was eligible. So it's not so much that having too many credit cards will mean that you will have bad credit. It's how you manage it. Uh, you know, your, the number of credit cards that you have is not of much significance to your credit score. The credit score calculators like to see that you have a, a variety of credit that you're managing. So credit cards, student loans, car loans, mortgages, things like that. But they're not like, oh, you have 12 credit cards? Hmm. You know, it's more how are you paying your bills and things like that. Well, our next question also pertains to credit, and it comes from Shania. I hope I'm saying that correctly. Shania? Shania, maybe. Yes, Shania. She's in her late 20s, and she opened up her first and only credit card last summer to start establishing credit herself. And it's a secured card, and her score is now around a 700. It's been about a year, and she'd like to think about opening up another card. But 
She wants to know if you think it would be better for her to open up a store card or another type of credit card. Mm. She says, I ask because I want to apply for the type of card I'm likely to get since my annual income isn't that high, about 12000 And she knows that income plays a part in the decision for creditors, and she doesn't want too many inquiries on her report. All right. So a few things going on here. And, and just to refresh listeners, what is a secured card? So a secured card is a type of, cr- of credit that usually you take on when you can't qualify for a traditional credit card yet, either because you have no credit history, you have a bad credit history, you might be new to the country, so you're not going to be um, super eligible yet for a robust credit card. So banks, credit unions offer these secured cards, which essentially they start out like debit cards. Like it's essentially this piece of plastic. You load this card with your own money, usually 300, 400, 500 bucks, maybe a thousand tops. Then you use it and you uh, basically spend your own money uh, like a debit card, but you have to pay the bill every month like a credit card. And over the course of a year with good payment history, you pay your bills on time, you could graduate to a real credit card, which it sounds like she's ready to do. But Shania, I would say first, approach the bank that issued you the secured card. You might be able to right there convert to a traditional credit card because they've seen your activity, you have a strong credit score, you've proven you're worthy of managing credit. And so maybe they can be your first resource to help you graduate to a traditional credit card, which might have a higher credit limit, definitely will have a higher credit limit, and it'll actually be a real credit card. And so start there. You're asking also about whether, you know, store card versus another type of credit card. You know, it's not so money to have a lot of store cards in my book. I think we all know that store cards carry higher than average interest rates. The credit limits on store cards, not typically very high compared to a traditional credit card issued by a bank. And I know that you're concerned about your income. $12,000 is not super high um, to maybe qualify for like the best of the best credit cards. So that's why I think you should go back to your original creditor that gave you that secured card. They believe in you already, right? So, and maybe it won't matter to them how much you're making. It'll matter, it will matter more to them how you've been behaving with this secure card, which you've been behaving great with. So go there first and see what your options are. If you're not so jazzed about the options there, then you can start looking elsewhere for another kind of card. And I would start with uh, credit unions where they're more flexible and they're more understanding of borrowers and credit card holders that uh, are just starting out. And there might be a card that's a better fit for you from one of those credit unions. Um, So that's what I would say about that. I mean, your income is important as just a general, like here's Farnoosh giving some advice about applying for credit cards. I mean, income matters, but most importantly is your credit behavior. Now, they may not give you a card that has like a $20,000 credit limit because your income is only $12,000. They don't want you to giving you a credit limit that exceeds your income, but you might get a credit card that has some limit, $5,000, $6,000. And then as you make more money, you can increase that. So look at this as a, a process. You know, this next card is not going to be your 
one and only final card. It's going to be another training wheel card, but it's something that will get you to the next level and then the next level and then the next level. So stick with it. Start with maybe looking at your existing bank that's giving you the secured card. And if not, go to a credit union for other options. Need a website? Why not do it yourself with Wix.com? No matter what business you're in, Wix.com has something for you. Used by more than 84 million people worldwide, Wix.com makes it easy to get your website live today. You need to get the word out about your business. It all starts with a stunning website with hundreds of designer-made, customizable templates to choose from. The drag-and-drop editor. There's no coding needed. You don't need to be a programmer or designer to create something beautiful. You can do it yourself with Wix.com. Wix.com empowers business owners to create their own professional websites every day. When you're running your own business, you're bound to be busy. Too busy. Too busy worrying about your budget. Too busy scheduling appointments. Too busy busy to build a website for your business. And because you're too busy, it has to be easy. And that's where Wix.com comes in. With Wix.com, it's easy and free. Go to Wix.com to create your website today. The result is stunning. So I think the next question, well, it's kind of more of a comment that we have is really interesting. It comes from Nicole, and she's wondering if you might consider a so many episode dedicated to wills because she said she's not entirely sure. Don't quote her on this, but recently she heard a stat that something like 65% of Americans don't have a will. And she's curious about the real financial ramifications of not preparing one and then preparing a will online versus in a legal office. And she says, I imagine a lot of people have been putting this off as it's not exactly the sexiest part of our no, financial Yeah, it's picture. not. <laughs> um, I have a will. I got one when I got married and we were planning our family. It's important. I think if you have any assets that you don't want the state to determine how it gets divvied up in the event of your passing away, it's important. I mean, it's it's not... Let me tell you, those meetings were not like we weren't like, you know, high fiving during those meetings. There was there was some somber questions. Uh your will is not just your financial wishes, but also your health wishes. So your healthcare proxy, what will happen to you and what decisions do you want to be made? Who's gonna make those decisions for you in the event that you can't make them for yourself because you're incapacitated, you're in a coma, whatever the case may be. So there's a lot of questions to answer. They're not the funnest, but they're, it's a very responsible thing to do. And if you are someone that cares deeply about making sure that your belongings, your assets go to the right people, the right places, you want to have something in writing. And, and sometimes, and, and this isn't the episode I'm doing right now here, right? You know, in the present, but I will take this into consideration. I think it's very important. Maybe next week we can tackle this in more depth, but I think just to be brief, you know, there are a lot of resources online that are free. And sometimes depending on the magnanimity of your asset, it doesn't make sense to go online. You better work with an attorney, an estate attorney. But if it's really simple, really straightforward, then sometimes these online resources like LegalZoom and Rocket Lawyer can be sufficient. But uh, sometimes it's worth paying the extra money to get the legal counsel just to be 100% sure. And I would start by looking at your state's laws that apply to uh, what happens to a person's assets uh, intestate, which essentially means without a will. Um, the 
essentially the state decides. And if that is not something that makes you happy, then you definitely want to have a will. But Nicole, this is a really good question. Definitely something we should be tackling more in depth on the show. We're going to put that on our to-do list. I think that's great. I actually was with my dad a couple months ago now when he was rearranging some of his stuff in his will. And his attorney looked at me and said, have you ever thought about your will? And I thought, oh my goodness. Yeah. I said, I'm so young. And he was like, it's never too early to prepare yourself. Hmm. So I thought- You'll have to update it several times, I would guess. Yeah, I would think so. But I didn't follow up with him, but it really had me thinking. I was, you know, I really thought, wow. And even somebody at a young age should think about having that. And I, but I do think it is something that's very important. I know I've witnessed a lot of people who have, you know, passed away unexpectedly. And it's really important to have that in place, especially like you said, if you have a family and you want to make sure that you're leaving things to your children or to people who are really important to you, you don't want that to, you know, hold up the process and not be able to have them you know, have access to those resources that you've left behind. Yeah. That's the other thing too. You bring up a good point. Like you should have a will, but you should also let the people closest to know that you have a will and where to access it. Who's your attorney or where's the file? Tim's mom, my husband's mother, it it bothers him so much because he doesn't want to think about, you know, something tragic happening. But every time she goes on a trip, she'll make sure to remind him like where her will is and and everything in their security box. And and he's just like, I don't want, you know, like Nicole said, like this is not something that we ever want to imagine, but it sort of, it goes along the same, it's the same with life insurance. You know, it's not one of those things that you are so excited to open, but it's important. Definitely. Well, we're going to switch gears now and we're going to go to Sean's question, which is about uh, college education. Mm -hmm. He's 29 and he has a fairly good job right now, but no college degree. So he's thinking of heading back to school and he's curious to know if future jobs might be in jeopardy if he pursues a degree via an online college instead of at a brick and mortar school. He says his mom is actually getting her degree through the American Public University online, but he's not sure that would hold the same clout as a degree maybe from somewhere like the University of Alabama, which is in the state that he lives in. Money is an issue for him, but his job will reimburse him quite a bit for school expenses, which is good. So unfortunately, we've yet to come to a place in our society. We will get there. But right now, I don't think online schools, depending on the the, the school's reputation. See, here's the thing. There have been a number of online schools that um, have been shut down, that are not graduating people, that have been getting bad raps. And they've been kind of ruining it for all the other legit, well, the reputable online schools. So in this case, John, I would just say do your due diligence, really research if you're going to go the online college route. And I support that in the sense that it can be a big cost saver. Uh, it can be a big time saver. It's much more convenient. You can take your courses at your own pace. Um, just make sure that you know, you look at the school's history of graduating people, their history of placing people in the job market. Not all online schools, just like all 
lot of a lot of brick and mortar schools are not alike. They're not the same in terms of their output and uh, the kinds of um, students that they graduate and, and as far as their success rates. So really do your research. Uh, if it's a school that has been blasted in the news, well, you know, maybe that's something to avoid because you don't want to be stigmatized as a result of their bad behavior. Make sure obviously that it's an accredited school. This is also due diligence that you should do for any school. But at the same time, lots of brick and mortar schools offer online education. So you could get the best of both worlds. Maybe the University of Alabama you could technically be enrolled there, but take the majority of your courses online. I don't know if that's going to be a huge cost saver in the end, but it might be a great time saver, more flexibility. And if you're you, if your work will reimburse you, then maybe that's something that will kind of give you uh, all the best options. So that's what I would say about that. Um, really be inquisitive about where the graduates have landed from these online schools that you're interested in. And look at your own industry, you know, as far as what employers want. If you've gotten so far in your industry at 29 without even a college degree, I, I don't think you're going to have to spend too much money to prove yourself because to get your college degree officially. I think you could probably do it uh, for less as long as you are aligning yourself with a school that has a good reputation. And, and don't just ask me. You know, I think you should ask people in your industry. Talk to employers, talk to your buddies that work in your field, get their opinions. Um, they may know more because they're way more entrenched than I am. But this is a really interesting question. What do you think, Sophia? I mean, I'm a little removed from college. You just graduated a few years ago. <laughs> so as far as online versus brick and mortar, what, what do you, I mean, what do you think? If you met someone who was like, I went to online, I went to so-and-so.com school, what would be your first instinct? I think nowadays there's, you know, as long as you're getting an education, I think that's really important. And I think many people acknowledge now that the price of education is just so expensive. You know, I think it used to be that many, many years ago, you would hear public versus private and you would think, you know, oh my goodness, you went to a public university versus a private or something like that. But I think nowadays you really can get a great education where you're, whether you're going to public or private or even online schooling. But I think, like you said, just kind of checking out where other people in your industry are. And I think especially if Sean has any mentors who are a little bit older than him, maybe in his industry to see what they think. And you're right. I don't think that uh, employers are looking at where you went to college so closely anymore. I mean, yeah, if you went to Harvard, Stanford, that's great. A plus. And I'm sure that's going to open up some doors for you that wouldn't necessarily if you went to so-and-so.com school. I think at this stage, Sean, you're 29. You probably have a wonderful resume, lots of work experience, that is going to be more compelling than the brand of the school that you ultimately go to and have a degree from. Uh, but I think your experience coupled with a college degree from somewhere is going to be a positive, a net positive. Just be careful because this is an investment. You know, I, I would... I'm less worried about an employer looking at where you went to school and going, oh, you went there? That's not as common anymore. What's more worrisome is that you're going to give your money to an institution that's not going to give you a return uh, on your on that investment. In other words, it's not going to be helpful to you when it comes time to finding a job, uh, making sure that you graduate on time. You know, these things are important. So just look out for yourself 
more than, and your money more than maybe, you know, worrying about what an employer is going to think as far as where you went to school. They just care about the degree at the end of the day. Like Sophia I think so. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. So actually, I think Fernish, you'll really like this last question. It comes from Leah, and she's self-employed in real estate, but she's been actively trying to build her brand and her business on social media. Mm-hmm. She wants to know your thoughts on if she should plan to have her, a personal social media integrated into her business social media, or if it's best to keep them separate. She doesn't want to bombard her friends with business messages, but then on the flip side, she also doesn't want to, you know, have her business circle be bombarded with pictures of her kids. Yeah. I think she should have two separate accounts. It's more work. It's definitely um, more housekeeping that way, but I think that's the only way to accomplish not annoying your friends, not bombarding your business clients. I think it's important to have that separation. I didn't do that initially because I just didn't, I mean, I I think I got a Facebook account in 2007 or 2006. And this is before I had a book. This is before anything. So I was like, oh, I'm good. One account. But eventually, you know, you want that separation because suddenly you're friending all these people that aren't really your friends or like people who have read your book or know your work or in this case with Leah, you know, um, are interested in her uh, real estate business. And you want to be able to just have a separation. It's it's better for your organization. It's better for your clarity of sending out your messaging, knowing who you're targeting, et cetera. Um, and it's not to say that some of your friends could move over and become part of your business profile, following you there and vice versa. You might make friends from some of your clients and then they can come onto your personal page. But I think if you ask anybody who has a business that they are promoting on social media, they usually have a personal account too that's separate, that's either behind uh, a, you know, a wall or you have to get approval to, to join. I think that's safe and I think that's probably the best practice. Yeah, a good friend of mine actually just um, got involved in real estate. And what he did was he, you know, he will put some of that stuff on his, um, on his, you know, personal page at times, but he's very selective with what he chooses in terms of the business messages that he'll include. You know, maybe it's more so like a listing that he thinks some of his, you know, friends will actually be interested to see because they'll know somebody or maybe a, and one of his direct friends will be interested in that listing. And, um, you know, that comes in handy. But then he also has his public Facebook page where he really interacts um, and includes, you know, all of the business messages there and people can follow um, who really just want to focus solely on the business aspect of what he's sharing with his followers. And I think it's worked out pretty well for him. Great. Yeah. And there's something to say you can't invite your friends to join your Facebook public profile, your business profile. And in real estate too, what a great industry for something like Instagram because it's so visual. I would really recommend you going on there and putting pictures of your listings. And now you can have a business page on Instagram. You can actually um, choose to have a business profile, which allows you to have a website posted on your profile, or at least a way to contact you, like a phone number, an email, which is uh, great. You don't get that with a personal account. 
yeah, I would say Facebook and Instagram are probably your best social media channels, not so much Twitter. People don't really look for housing on Twitter. Uh, people want pictures. They want information. They don't want 140 characters. They want mm-hmm. all of it. So uh, yeah, it would be a little bit more, you know, copy pasting, working, double the work a little bit in some cases, but I think it'll serve you well. And that's a wrap. That went quickly. That went? Did it go quickly? I, I'm looking at the clock and I'm like, oh boy, we're over 30 minutes. But these were some really great, great questions. Really great to come back to this, the, these, this mailbag after vacation. And as you all know, the best way to reach us is go to somoneypodcast.com, click on Ask Farnoosh and send us your question. We're going to soon upload all of our um, frequently asked Ask Farnoosh questions on somoneypodcast.com. So if you've got a question, we encourage you to check that out first because you might have an answer for you sitting, waiting for you in that tab. And we'll let you know when that goes live, but that's something that's on our the top of our to-do, to-do list. And hope you all have a great weekend. Sophia, happy weekend. Thank you, too.